today on The Open Word with Pastor David Landry. Open our hearts, change us from within by the open word. Give us ears to hear your truth and eyes to see the needs around us as we draw. For the one who's converted into convenient Christianity, obedience to the truth of God only comes when it's convenient. Only when it's convenient. On the other hand, what I believe true and credible Christianity, there's an obedience to the Word of God on an ongoing basis. For this individual, there's this, there's this willingness within their lives to follow God, even like Job declared, hey, you know what, though he slay me, yet will I love him, yet will I serve him. That's true Christianity. That's credible Christianity. In today's message, Pastor David teaches us that obedience to Christ is evidence that we are truly converted. Though our obedience does not earn us salvation, true obedience comes when we belong to the Lord and want to please Him with our lives. Pastor David also points out that those who obey only when it's convenient or when they feel like it should examine themselves and their relationship with God. The true convert will submit to the Lord's leadership no matter the circumstances, whether it's convenient or not. Now here's Pastor David with part one of today's message, The Love of Grace, from 1 Peter chapter 1. Tertullian was a leader in the early church, uh, actually within the almost the third century. He was born in 160 A.D. and lived on into the 200s, into that third century. As a leader in the church, he had quite a bit that he wrote for the church in those earlier days. He was in Carthage uh, there in Africa. He was educated in both Roman as well as Greek culture. Now, he was raised in a pagan home. His father actually was a Roman centurion there in Carthage. And Tertullian, though, came to Christ, not as a young man. He came to Christ, like perhaps some of you, in his 30s or 40s. He was recognized very quickly as he came into the church, not only as a, a well-educated man and well-versed, but one that uh, uh, could write in the defense of the Christian faith. And he wrote quite uh, a few things, not only defending Christianity against the heresies of the age, but also he wrote many of his letters to the Roman leadership of the area, trying to convince them against the persecution of the saints of the day. One of the letters that he wrote, it's in a document called the Apologeticum in chapter 39. Tertullian is writing to a local Roman leader and kind of explaining about Christians and Christianity. He writes that it's mainly the deeds of a love so noble that lead many to put a brand upon us. See, they say, how they, speaking of the Christians, how they love one another. For themselves, speaking of the pagan Romans, he says, for themselves, they're animated by mutual hatred. 
and how they, the Christians, are ready even to die for one another, yet the Romans, they themselves will sooner put each other to death. As we look at this next section of 1 Peter, and I invite you to turn there this morning, Peter speaks a great portion about the love that we're to have as brothers and sisters in Christ. As we've got into this section back beginning, I believe in verse 13, we, we started a kind of a series of things. The first one as we looked at verses 13 through 16 was the hope of grace. And then verses 17 through 21 was the glory of grace. And today we're going to be looking at the love of grace. And we're going to be looking at 1 Peter chapter 1 verses 22 through 25. Let's look at the first couple of verses there, if you would. Peter writes in 1 Peter chapter 1, beginning of verse 22. He says, since you have, now again, in speaking to believers, he says, since you have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit in sincere love of the brethren, love one another fervently with a pure heart, having been born again, not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible through the word of God, which lives and abides forever. Before we get into this aspect of the Christian love, the the first order of business that Peter writes about here, and what I feel that we need to touch on, is this idea of purifying our souls. He says, you've purified your souls in obeying the truth. And when we look at all the context of Peter's writing within all of this epistle, we understand that he is speaking about the work of the believer, yes, the work of the believer in our own personal sanctification. Now, we've talked about this quite a bit here in Peter. Now, number one, when we come to Christ by faith, not by works, but by faith, then the Lord sanctifies us. And that word, that the meaning of that word means is he's taken us from the worldly things and worldly purpose, and he's set us unto or set us apart for a holy purpose. So in Christ, we are sanctified. But as believers, as we're living our life right now, we are being sanctified. There is a process that continues. And this comes about by the decisions that you and I make daily, sometimes moment by moment. It's a process of obedience. And he writes about this, this whole idea of separating ourselves from the things of this world, setting ourselves to the things of Christ. Our salvation, though, and again, to make this adamantly clear, our salvation was purchased at the cross of Christ through the death of Christ, even as we shared with this table this morning. It was made available to us because of the work of God's grace toward us. It's the grace of God. But then it was received into our lives through the vehicle or through an act of faith on our part. Not a work, just simply by faith, I'm receiving what the Lord has given us. However, as we've shared in this study so far, once salvation comes to the believer, the believer himself must choose then to walk in obedience. Those are the choices that we make moment by moment of every day. Obedience to the truth. The walk of obedience, again, the walk of obedience is not the vehicle of salvation. 
but it's the result of, it's the demonstration of true salvation within a believer. We'll get into that a little bit more, but again, it is, it is because we are saved that we walk in this obedience. Obedience is a reoccurring theme even in the writings of Peter. We saw it very early on up in verse 2 as he writes to us. He says that we are elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father in sanctification of the Spirit for what? Obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. Then again, we read it uh, a few weeks ago down in verse 14. He says, as obedient children, not conforming yourselves to the former lusts, as in your ignorance. But as he who has called you is holy, you also be holy in your conduct. Because it's written, be holy, for I am holy. Obedience. And here now in verse 22, he says, since you have purified your soul in obeying the truth. Obedience is the determining factor as to whether you and I are walking in convenient Christianity or credible Christianity. And beloved, there is a world of difference. The unfortunate reality is many within the Christian community as a whole live their lives as convenient Christians and not really as true, credible Christians. A convenient Christian is the one that's come to Christ simply to escape the wrath of God. They come only to enjoy the the blessings of God, and perhaps someday to see heaven. Not quite ready for it yet, but uh, I've got my ticket, okay? I've got it stamped, I've got it punched, I'm ready to go. That's what I'm talking about, someone with that kind of an attitude. I don't believe it's true Christianity. The convenient Christian... There's no true love of the things of God. There's no passion for the presence of God. And there's definitely no consistent obedience to the truth of God. And that's particularly true if it would bring an inconvenience in their lives. It's particularly true if it calls for faithful and consistent stewardship of time or talents or resources. It's particularly true for that convenient Christian if it calls for them to move out of their comfort zone, be stretched, as it was. Particularly if it requires personal discipline and sacrifice of self. You see, a convenient Christian, none of those things would appeal to them. None of those things would they be walking in. For the one who's converted into convenient Christianity, obedience to the truth of God only comes when it's convenient. Only when it's convenient. On the other hand, what I believe true and credible Christianity, there's an obedience to the word of God on an ongoing basis. For this individual, there's this, there's this willingness within their lives to follow God, even like Job declared, hey, you know what, though he slay me, yet will I love him, yet will I serve him. That's true Christianity. That's credible Christianity. 
It's for it's it's the one who has a passion not only for God but also for the things of God within their lives. It's the one who's willing to let go of the things of this world in order to better hold on to the things of the world yet to be. That's true. That's credible Christianity. Their life isn't their own. They understand that they've been bought with a price. Like Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 20, he says, For you were bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. That's a command, that's a directive to you and I as believers. If we claim Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, the word says that we ought to be glorifying God in our body. That means the choices that we make. For the credible Christian, they've surrendered all of their life in faithful stewardship of time, talents, and treasure. Early on, as Jesus was calling his disciples to himself, he came to the guys while they were busy about making a living. They were busy about doing the the work that would feed their families, take care of the needs that they have. And Jesus came up to them and said, come, follow me. I'll make you fishers of men. The men looked up at Jesus and said, I get off at five. I can follow you then. I'm available this weekend or perhaps for a couple of hours on Sunday morning. Would that work? What does the word say? No, they literally dropped their nets and they left them and followed Jesus. Are we called to anything less ourselves? Maybe he's not calling for you to quit your job and follow him in a full-time way, but maybe he is. Some have left life and gone out and lived their life in mission for the Lord. Again, Lord, where, where you lead, I'll go. A little bit later in the ministry of Jesus, Peter speaks to the Lord and says, Lord, we've left everything to follow you. And I believe that that was true. They, they've left everything. But Jesus reminded them, yeah, but you know what? When you do, you're going to gain so much more. So much more. True, incredible Christians, they're willing to move out of their comfort zone. They're willing to take up that cross and follow Christ. Jesus tells us in Matthew 16, he says, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? But, you know, those were words for that culture at that time 2,000 years ago. They didn't have the same kind of stresses and trials and things. Jesus didn't know what we were going to be facing today in 2013. Wrong answer. I believe that the Word of God is as powerful and as mighty and convicting today as it was when Jesus spoke those words in a fleshly way to those men who were following him. All of this, not in order to gain salvation, King. Please understand that it's not to gain salvation, but it's because we have a true and because we have a credible Christianity. We're born again from above. The old things have passed away. Behold, all things have been made new. There needs to be a new focus, a new drive, a new passion within our lives. And the unfortunate reality is the church of Jesus Christ today is not a powerful 
organization within our community because there's not a powerful passion within the hearts and lives of believers today. Well, maybe there is a powerful passion, but it's misdirected. It's not passionate for the things of the Lord. Part of the test of every believer is this aspect of what Peter says here, walking in obedience. He says, since you've purified your souls in obeying the truth. And then Peter draws together this idea of having purified our soul through obedience, obeying the truth through the Spirit. He ties it together with this call to love the brethren. And this is what I see is that love of grace. That since we are recipients of grace, there needs to be from our life this heart, this attitude, this, 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 this growing love within our lives. A part of our obedience to the truth is the call to believers to have, as Peter writes here, a sincere love of the brethren. Now, if you have a King James Version, it may say an unfeigned love for the brethren. Uh, You may have other versions, but in essence what Peter is writing here, the actual Greek word that he uses, means without hypocrisy. It means it's real. That it's not just, hey brother, how you doing? God, that guy's a jerk. And then you move on down the line. It's not the thing that we come up and, and I love our church. We, 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 we appear to be a very loving church. I, I, I believe that we are, but I also know I'm not so naive as to know that we're not perfect by any stretch of the imagination. And how easy it is is for a moment to express a love. Beloved, it's a lot harder to walk in love. Not just express a love, but walk in love. He says that you you love in a sincere love for the brethren. And then he says you love one another fervently. Fervently. And again, that word has the idea of uh, uh, intenseness and intentionality. In other words, uh, it's without ceasing, and I'm looking for a way to demonstrate and to show my love for you because I care about you that much. That means that I'm willing to go out of my comfort zone to demonstrate that love for you. That means that when it's inconvenient, my love for you is still primary. When I'm stretched in this area, that I can still demonstrate that love for you. He says, love one another fervently, and love one another with a pure heart. Have a pure love for fellow believers. And again, that idea is that it's without corruption, it's clean, and it's pure. It's interesting, that word pure that Peter writes, it's the same word that John uses in Revelation chapter 21, when he speaks of that, that sea that was clear. Clear. In other words, you could see right through it. Is that the kind of love that we have for one another? Is that the kind of love that we're desiring to grow in for one another? Without corruption, clean and pure. Not, well, I'm, I'm going to love you because I know uh, maybe that's the reciprocation of that means that I might get an extra blessing or, uh, you know, uh, you, you've got some resources that maybe if I love you a lot, then I can also receive something from that. No, beloved, we are called to love, as the word says, even the unlovely. 
That means you've got to love me, okay? That also means that we have to love those who there is no reciprocation. I believe it was Jesus that said, love your enemies. Now, if I'm to love my enemies, how much more should I love my brothers and sisters in Christ? If I know my enemy is trying to kill me, to destroy me, to take me out, and I'm called to love him and to do acts of compassion toward him, then how much greater is our response and our requirement to care for and to love one another? We're called to have a sincere, a fervent, a pure love for the brethren, a love without hypocrisy, intense in its actions, and pure from any corruptions or ulterior motives. Peter continues writing here, and he makes the reasons for this love very clear. First of all, he says, it's because of that grace that's been given to us. Through grace, we've been, as he says in verse 23, he says that we've been born again, not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible, through the word of God, which lives and abides forever. Because grace has been demonstrated in my life through the Lord Jesus Christ, how much more ought I to love? If God took me with all the luggage and all the, the, the cracks and the chips and the, the, the filth that was there and the disappointments that were there, because I've received his love, then I need to be a vehicle of that love, a conduit of that love to others. But not only that, he says our lives are very short. We're, we're here for a moment and then we're gone. He says in verse 24, he says that because all flesh is as grass and all the glory of man as a flower of the grass, the grass withers and it flower falls away, but the word of the Lord endures forever. Now this is the word which by the gospel was preached to you. Peter speaks about the temporary status of our own lives, and yet he builds on the enduring word of God. He says it will last forever. That's the gospel that was preached to you. And when he ties in the word of the Lord enduring forever, and the fact that this word was the gospel, he brings out the fact that although we're only here for a short season, the gospel itself is eternal. And because the gospel is eternal, what you and I do during this short season has eternal significance. Eternal significance in our own lives. Beloved, I believe also eternal significance in other lives. Because as we love one another, we encourage one another, we strengthen one another. And yes, I understand too that sometimes in our love for one another, we have to speak the truth but we speak it in love. So if we see a brother or a sister who's stumbling, we don't go to them as a a one-upmanship or that, hey, I'm better than you, or hey, I got my act together, why don't you have your act together? But we go to them in the greatness and the depth of love that says, brother, I'm concerned about what's going on in your life. I'm concerned about what's going on in your family's life. I'm concerned about how you're living your life. But we speak to it and we deal with it in love. Changes from within by the open word. 
Thanks for tuning in today for Pastor David Landry's verse-by-verse study through the book of 1 Peter here on The Open Word. We are glad we're able to bring you these teachings straight from God's Word, but we're even more glad you chose to spend time with us today. We love hearing from our listeners, so please give us a call if you have a moment. Our phone number here is 520-836-9676. That's 520-836-9676. Let us know, too, how we can be praying for you. Are you a part of a local church? Joining and actively getting involved in a local body of believers is a great way to grow in your faith. It's a place where you can learn about the power and love of the Savior and ask questions among other imperfect seeking people. You'll find support in times of need and be able to offer help to others in your own unique way. If you have yet to find a local church in your area, we'd encourage you to start looking today. And if you're in the Casa Grande area, Pastor David has a special invitation for you. Hey, thanks, Chris. You know, I'd like to personally invite you to join us here at Calvary Chapel of Casa Grande for a time of worship, fellowship, and studying the Word of God. We meet every Sunday at 9 o'clock and 11 o'clock in the morning, as well as Wednesday evening and Saturday evening at 6.30. You can find our address and directions by visiting theopenword.com and following the links to our church page. I look forward to meeting you in person and sharing this journey of faith with you. Thanks, Pastor David. Join us next time for another edition of The Open Word.